No one can really love Jesus without loving His church. The Bible says in Ephesians 5.25, Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave Himself up for it. We can't love Jesus without loving the church because the church is the blood-purchased people of God. Acts 20 and verse 28. How can the church, how can the church of the 21st century grow and thrive in a time when the world is increasingly antagonistic to Jesus and his church? That's a question well worth thinking about and praying about. How can the church of Jesus grow and thrive in the 21st century in a world where Jesus and the church are becoming less and less popular? In fact, many are antagonistic to them. What does the future hold for churches of Christ in America? These are two very important studies that I hope that you'll pay really special attention to. It begins this morning. What does the future hold for churches of Christ in America? And we'll continue the study tonight. But in answering the question, what does the future hold for churches of Christ in America? And in mentioning the fact that the world is increasingly antagonistic and there's all kinds of religious options out there, doesn't it sound strikingly like the world in the first century when the church had its birth? Doesn't it sound like the circumstances uh, of the early years of the church when they turned the world upside down, Acts 17 and verse 6, with Jesus and the gospel? Open your Bibles to Acts 16. As we look at the church at Philippi, the church at Philippi had its inception in trouble. But it is a book that's about God, the gospel, and us. And for just a few moments, I want to look at Acts 16 with you as we introduce our study and what the future holds for us as the people of God. In Acts 16, take a moment to look at the events of Acts 15. Acts 15 is a pivotal chapter in the book of Acts. Acts 15, the date is around 49 A.D. A decision is made by the leaders of God's people, the apostles and other men, that they would not place on Gentile Christians various Jewish rituals. But they would understand that we're all saved by grace through obedient faith in Jesus. Acts 15 and verse 11. At the close of Acts 15, you have Paul having a disagreement with a co-worker on how to best do God's will. So Acts 15 is sort of a tumultuous chapter if we're really putting ourselves in the shoes, the sandals of Paul. 
There's a lot that's going on. Then you come to Acts 16. And he's about to begin the second missionary journey, this time with a partner by the name of Silas. It's 49 or 50 A.D. That means it's approximately 15 to 20 years after the death of Jesus. He is forbidden to go into Asia with the gospel. He's forbidden to go to a place called Bithynia with the gospel. But in a vision, he sees a man who says... Come on over to Macedonia and help us. Now keep in mind, he's an inspired man and the Holy Spirit is working in the life of Paul miraculously. And so they go to Philippi and here's what happens. In Acts 16, verses 11 through about 15, they encounter Lydia who's a really good woman, and she's very concerned about God and the Messiah. And they're able to teach Lydia, and she and members of her family become Christians. Good things happening in Philippi. Then in Acts 16, verses 16 through 24, you see that Paul removes a demon from a woman. The text says she had a spirit of divination. And she was being used by individuals in predicting future events for their prophet. For the prophet. And Paul cast this spirit of divination, this demon, if you will, out. You know, if you really want to get on somebody's bad side, hit them in their finances. And that's what Paul had done. And so Paul and Silas are reported to the magistrates, the leaders of Philippi, and the text tells us, beginning at verse 25 and following, how that they had been beaten with rods many times. Talk about taking a beating. Beaten with rods, many stripes, and then they were taken and They were placed in shackles. Their feet were placed in shackles. And they're in prison. And it's in verses 25 through 34 of Acts 16, we read of the conversion of the Philippian jailer and his family. What I want you to keep in mind is, Paul would have a long and precious and beautiful relationship with the church at Philippi. But the church at Philippi had its beginnings, its inception, with all kinds of problems. With physical violence. With imprisonment of men like Paul and Silas. Now fast forward with me to the book of Philippians. Turn in your Bibles to Philippians chapter 1. I mentioned how Philippians is about God, the gospel, and us. It's now about 62 A.D. When Paul writes Philippians, he is in prison. Not absolutely sure if he'll be released or not. So roughly 10 years later, to 12 years later, he writes this book. 
And the emphasis in chapter 1 especially is on God. If you were to look at the specific occasions where God or Jesus Christ are referred to, you'll see at least about 25 times in this chapter God is mentioned alone. That is a lot. Also, the word gospel... Paul's in jail, but he's still focused on God, and he's still focused on the gospel. And the expression gospel occurs at least six times in this one chapter, twice alone in verse 27. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel, that whether I come to see you or be absent, I hear of your state, that you stand fast with one spirit, with one soul, striving together for the faith of the gospel." God, the gospel, and us. How do the people of God grow and flourish and thrive in a society that is increasingly antagonistic? Well, I want to discuss with you seven timeless principles. This was true of the church, I think, in Acts chapter 2 when it began. It will be true of the people of God up until the time the Lord comes back. But we are going to look at Philippians chapter 1 and examine seven timeless principles that need to be stressed in relating to God and the gospel no matter what time we find ourselves living in. Here's the first principle. The identity or relationship principle. Look at Philippians 1, 1 and 2. Now, ladies and gentlemen, friends, you'll be able to follow along in your Bible as we study Philippians 1 together. And think about what Paul is stressing because what Paul stresses optimistically and encouragingly are the same things we ought to be stressing. Identity or relationship? I'll put it in the form of a sentence. We find our identity and relationship with God through Jesus and the gospel. Identity, relationship. Notice verses 1 and 2. Paul speaks of the Christian's identity. He speaks of Christians as servants. See that in verse 1? He himself, a servant, that is a responsible relationship. He is our master, we are his servants. In a very real way, we are bought and paid for. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20. But notice the second expression. The people of God are called saints. Saints. There's a responsible relationship in the word servants, but there is a holy relationship in the word saints. People that were all wrong with God are made right with God, made holy through Jesus. See that? Continue looking at the text. Christianity is a focused relationship. There is an environment in which we find ourselves in Jesus Christ. I tell you what, nothing can be more precious than being in Jesus Christ. 
That's the environment that we live in. We may live here in this world, but even more, we are in Jesus Christ. A blessed relationship. Think of how Christians, think about how the church is described. People who know grace, people who know peace. And the Old Testament and the New Testament come together marvelously in Jesus. Because a great word from the Old Testament would be peace, shalom. And the great word of the New Testament is grace. Grace in Jesus. A blessed relationship we have in Jesus because we know grace and peace. But look at verse 12. I want you to know, brethren, brothers and sisters, we have a family relationship in Jesus. And so in these opening verses of the book of Philippians, much is being said about identity and relationship. God is the author of the Bible and God is the primary character in Scripture And the fact that he wants to have a relationship with us and give us identity in him. Now look again at verses 1 and 2. Because there is the leadership principle or the organization principle. Notice what Paul speaks about concerning the organization of God's people, the leadership of God's people. He mentions all saints. Every Christian has been made holy by Jesus. And every Christian should seek to be holy in Christ. He mentions some leaders He calls them overseers. Elsewhere, they are called elders. They are called shepherds. And when you put all three terms together for these men in the church, these overseers, these elders, these shepherds, here's the idea. The kind of men that God wants to lead His churches are men of maturity, elder. They are men of oversight, overseer. They are men of heart. They are shepherds. They are pastors. The Bible deals with this theme at length because God is concerned about the organization and leadership of His people. Now, To really put it as simply as I can, elders are wise men who fit the biblical qualifications and who reflect Jesus by their character and lives. Deacons. Deacons are special servants. The word literally means, Waylon, to kick up the dust by hastening. There is... Something that needs to be done to honor the Lord. Deacons really are kind of what the church is all about. This idea of servanthood. 
This idea of holy men and women serving God. As long as this world will go on, we must emphasize the identity of God's people. As long as this world lasts, we must emphasize the kind of leadership God wants in the church, the kind of organization He desires us to have. Now look, if you will, at Philippians chapter 1 and consider verses 3 through 8, the unity principle, the oneness principle. Kind of go back with me. The idea of what? Identity and relationship. The idea of what? Leadership and organization. The idea of what? Unity and oneness. Paul stresses these. When you look at verses 3 through 8 of Philippians chapter 1, Paul talks about, I pray for you all. I long for all of you. I think there's a tendency as, as Christians for us to have people that we're closer with, closer to, but when Paul thought about the church at Philippi, all you got to do is look at verses 3 through 8 and underline the references to all. And how Philippians chapter 2 especially the opening verses, the first four verses, instruct all Christians to seek to have a type of unity that is God-honoring and that is based upon Scripture. John 17, 20 and 21, that they may be one on the basis of the Apostles' word. Behold how good and how pleasant it is to dwell together in unity, Psalm 133 and verse 1. We are to give diligence to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace, Ephesians 4 and verse 3. To speak the same thing, to be of the same mind and judgment, and that there should be no divisions among us, 1 Corinthians 1 verse 10. This must be emphasized. We find our unity and oneness in Jesus and in the gospel. That's what Paul is saying, and that's what we ought to be saying too. No other standard, no other person can unite us or make us one. Only our Lord. The fellowship principle or cooperation. The fellowship principle or cooperation principle. Again, Philippians chapter 1, verses 3 through 8, talk about this. Paul talks about your participation, your fellowship in the gospel, verse 5. He talks about the defense of the gospel in verse 16 and 17. He speaks of, in Philippians 1.27, living lives worthy of the gospel and having fellowship. Now the word fellowship, when you look at the slide behind me, fellowship is one of those church ease words. 
Many who have been in the church for a long time just know what we're talking about. But if you don't have a real background in in church, uh, the idea is this. A common bond and commitment in Christ to the will, the work, and walk of God. When you are around Christians, there should be a common bond and commitment as Christians to the will, the work, and the walk of God. Now notice how this is displayed, fellowship. How this common bond and commitment in Christ to the will, the work, and the walk of God is displayed in these verses. Verses 3 through 8. Appreciation. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. Thankfulness. Memory. People like to know that they're thought about, don't they? Don't you like to know that you're thought about? That you're cared for? That you're missed? Prayerfulness. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you in my prayers. I appreciate you. I'm thinking about you. I am praying for you. Miss Martha, doesn't that mean more than anything to you right now? The idea of partnership, that we are cooperating in the great plan of God to bring people to Him and build people up in Him, and we're going to be doing it until He returns. That's fellowship. Having confidence in brethren, that's a great way of thinking about fellowship. I am confident in God, and I am confident in what God is able to do in our lives as His people. And then he ends the section in verse 8 by saying, I long for you, and it's right for me to long for you this way, because I have real affection and love for you. Hear that, Jim Lorenz? What church wouldn't be a blessing to the community that had fellowship like that within it? Now look, if you will, at verses 9 through 11. The excellence principle. Just working our way through this chapter quickly. In verses 9 through 11, the excellence principle or priorities. Excellence or priorities. As long as this old world shall stand, we should be, as the church of Jesus Christ, interested, vitally interested in excellence, and these should be our priorities. Now, Paul states these in the form of a prayer. Wise we would be to have more public prayers offered like this one. And this I pray, catch the seven components of it. Component number one, that your love may abound yet more and more. Love one another with a pure heart fervently. 1 Peter 1.22 
Be kindly affectioned to one another in brotherly love, Romans 12 and verse 10. Let love of the brethren continue, Hebrews 13, 1. Love the brotherhood, 1 Peter 2 and verse 17. By this shall all men know you're my disciples, by your love one for another, John 13, 34 and 35. But notice what's found next. The idea of knowledge. I pray that your love abound more and more in knowledge and in third discernment. The two terms are related. Knowing means that we experience more of God and His gospel on a consistent basis in our lives. We're experiencing more of knowing Him and what it means practically in our lives. And discernment means that the knowledge we have of Jesus and His gospel are impacting the decisions that we make so that we choose wisely. Fourth, approve the excellent. Christians know what's best. They think and they pray about this. Those that are growing in love and knowledge and discernment can approve what is excellent. I love the next expression, pure and blameless, number five. To be pure and blameless. Our knowledge and our love is to be manifested, displayed in how we live. Filled with the fruit of righteousness. All to the praise and the glory and honor of God. As long as this world lasts, we ought to be stressing excellence in ministry. We ought to be stressing what are real priorities that show themselves 24-7, as we'd say, in the lives of the people of God, that your love abound more and more, knowledge, discernment, approving the things that are excellent, pure and blameless, filled with the fruit of righteousness, and the glory and honor of God. The motivation principle... This is the biggest part of the chapter. The biggest part of the chapter in Philippians, 1.12 through 26, deals with motivation. It deals with desire. What we want more than anything. And if you look at Philippians 1.12 through 26 with me, it breaks down into the past, verses 12 through 14, the present, verses 15 through 18, and the future, verses 19 through 26. The things that have happened to me have happened, past tense. Verse 12. The things that are going on, some are preaching Christ out of selfish ambition and strife. You see that in verses 15 through 18? See it? And then in verses 19 through 26, keep noticing the expression, will, will happen, will happen, future tense. So let's stop for a minute and look at each one. 
If you're writing anything down in your Bible or you're using something digitally or notes, whatever, write the word providence. Because that's what this section is about. God provides for his own. The providential care of God. Now, what happens when you look at verses 12 through 14 is this. In spite, in spite of trouble, Paul's in jail. Not absolutely sure he's going to be released. But in spite of trouble, the gospel is advancing. Philippians 1, 12 through 14. These things have actually happened to the progress, the furtherance of the gospel. So much so that many have heard of my bonds and how the imperial guard have heard about Jesus and His gospel and they have greater boldness in telling others about Jesus too. Thankful we ought to be that in times of trouble the gospel can still be furthered. That was true in the first century, and it can be true in the 21st century. Because God's providential care still exists. Verses 15 through 18. Now think about this one. Paul is in prison, and there are some Christians out there that are using this as an occasion to speak in a way about him, that's not really Christian at all. In spite of detractors and personality issues, in spite of detractors and personality issues, Paul says this, Christ is proclaimed. Paul didn't have any issue particularly with what these brethren were saying about Jesus and the gospel, but he had a real issue with their motivation. Think about that. Today there may be preachers and leaders among us whose motivation is not what it ought to be, but can we still rejoice if they are preaching the truth? about Jesus and the gospel. Paul did. What this does is show something about the bigness of Paul and the littleness of many of us. And then, verses 19 through 26, Paul's choice, I'd rather die and be with Christ. Maybe this will be the time when I'm going to die and be with Jesus forever. But he says, I believe it is more expedient for your sake that I remain and that I help you in ministry. Whether in life or death, God is glorified and honored. Bottom line, Christianity. The gospel is furthered. Christ is proclaimed, and whether alive or dead, God is to be honored by us. Whether it results in continued living here on earth or in our death, to glorify and honor Him. 
What a great message Jesus and the gospel are. Verses 27 through 30. Y'all didn't think I'd get through that, did you? 27 through 30. The reflection principle, the image principle. Now, if you'll stop for just a second and think about this. We find our identity in Jesus and His gospel. We find organization and godly leadership through Jesus and His gospel. We find unity and oneness through Jesus and His gospel. We find fellowship through Jesus and His gospel. Now change it. Through our reflection of Jesus and His gospel, people see His image in us. And notice what He does. He says, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel. Live worthy of the gospel. Live worthy of the gospel. If you really love Jesus and the gospel, think about how you're living. Do things coincide well? Oh, for my life to better reflect the Lord and the gospel I love. Then he says... Stand firm, stand fast. Let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel, that whether I come to see you or be absent, I hear of your state, that you stand firm, that you stand fast. It seems to me that when things get a a little bit difficult, the first thing many want to do is compromise doctrinal conviction and spiritual depth. This is not how God is going to be honored in the 21st century. God will be honored by people who have true spiritual depth and who are not afraid to stand firm where Scripture speaks. There are many people who may not like what the Bible teaches concerning Lesbians and gays. And I believe we must love all souls, but the Bible says what it says. There are many who may not like what the Bible says about the essentiality of baptism, but God's people cannot give up on what God's Word says washes away our sin by the blood of Jesus. It may not be popular to talk about the undenominational nature of the church, but the Bible teaches it. Stand firm in the faith. In the faith. It doesn't say stand firm in your opinions. It says stand firm in the faith. 1 Corinthians 16, 13, and 14. Be united with one spirit, with one soul. 
striving together for the faith of the gospel. And then notice verses 28 and following. Do not be afraid of your adversaries. What does he say? He says, do not be afraid of your adversaries. Because God's with you. When we are with God and the gospel, God is most assuredly with us. Times of suffering will come. It's been given to you not only to believe, but also to suffer for His sake. You think Paul knew what he was talking about? We have lived... Those of you that are older and grayer have lived in a time in this nation when Christianity was what people were by default. They were Christians by default. That time has gone. And in some ways it's tragic, but in other ways a new day can dawn where people can really have a faith that's vibrant and real and gospel-centered and Christ-focused. But it's going to require people who are willing to suffer and strive and stand and show and tell Jesus to reflect Jesus through their lives and through their lips and through their thoughts. The reflection principle. So we've looked at the matter of identity or relationship, leadership and organization, unity and oneness. We've talked about fellowship And cooperation with one another. Partnership with God. Excellence and priorities. Motivation and desire and goal. Reflecting His image in the 21st century. This morning I got to take Philippians chapter 1 and try to be a Paul or Barnabas and encourage you about what the future holds for churches of Christ in America. I hope that this has helped us. Tonight I get to be Jeremiah, and there will be some lamenting as we talk about churches of Christ in America. Thank you for listening. We're about to stand and sing our song of encouragement. We do this as a matter of tradition because we're concerned about souls. We're concerned that people are right with God. We're concerned about identity and relationship with the Lord. You can respond to His saving grace as shown through Jesus and the cross by faith and repentance and baptism. At that point... The Lord washes away one's sins and one can be added to the church of the New Testament. The church that Paul proclaimed. The church that the blood of Jesus purchased. Are you part of His church? For those of us who are Christians... I think these were seven principles that all of us would do well to stress more in our own lives. They would bless the church here at Westside, and as a result, people throughout Midland would be blessed. Let us stand and sing.